Welcome back to another edition of New Mexico Rising. We don't have Sean this week, but someone has been so gracious as to step up and help me go through the stories of the day. Dowd Muska is the Rock of Talks editor and policy director, and he has been so gracious as to guest host with me to talk policy and all that ails us here in the land of entrapment. Let's get started. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another edition of New Mexico Rising. As you said, in, as I said in the intro, we don't have Sean with us, but of course, in a in a pinch, and our pinch hitter, Dowd Musk is going to be joining us here in a few seconds. But first, Thaddeus, introduce yourself, Dowd, because <laughs> this is like the first time we've ever had you on New Mexico Rising. We've That's had true. You on previous programs, but. I've been very, very excited for this because you are my policy servant when it comes to all things New Mexico policy-wise, why things are going terribly wrong, the nitty-gritty, the good, the bad, the ugly, slashing the professional politicians, the eco-liars, union goons, tax thugs, greedy, what is it, educrats is what you call yes, them? Yes, yes. And, of course, the bureaucrats and corporate welfare queens. <laughs> Thank Please. you for thank you for reading my my introduction that I wrote for myself. Thank you. Hey, <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, it was a pretty good introduction, so I taxed it, so to speak. Uh, even though we all believe the taxation is theft. So, Dowd, as my fellow libertarian who occasionally gets red pilled with the cultural, I don't know, issues of the day, I want you to introduce yourself to the New Mexico Rising audience, and then you are going to help me step through these stories these dumpster fires of stories and stuff like that so. of course um hello folks um hello to my sister watching in scotland right now probably um i am <laughs> d dowd muska uh, as thaddeus said editor and policy director for the rock of talk that is a uh, I, I guess in the old days you'd say it's a radio station or a radio program but in the modern digital world we're, we're so much more than that I, i'd say the best way to sort of hook up with us is you can stream our radio program at abq.fm anywhere in the world in the albuquerque area we are available at 1600 a.m on your a.m dial i'm kind of the proprietor of rockoftalk.chat that is our website uh we're not under the control of big tech. We control it entirely. It's a way that we get our content out to you. Uh, we do the podcast of our daily show that airs our, that is heard from 4 to 6.45 every weekday. Uh, and also as the editor and policy director, I do a lot of original content, a lot of original research. My background is in, in policy research. So uh, we're kind of half half media outlet, half think tank, Thaddeus. And um, we, we try to cause as much trouble as we can. And if we have time later, we could even mention that uh, the man who runs it all, Eddie Aragon, happens to be running for mayor of Albuquerque on top of all that. Oh, we'll get into all that. We we'll <laughs> definitely want the, uh, 
the nitty gritty on that, what can be divulged, but also just, you know, yeah, you're, you've always been, again, my go-to guy when I'm just like, what does this mean, Dowd? How are the people at the roundhouse screwing us or at our, you know, for those of us who are in the orbit of the Albuquerque Metro, how is that in their, um, their, I don't know, their proclamations really screwing us over and stuff like that. But Let's get into the news of the day. This is why this is why we are here. Always, your take is always important. The first thing being, there seems to be a little bit of a back off here with the balloon fiesta no longer requiring a COVID vaccine to enter. Now, I suppose they're still going to make you do the dumb thing and wear a mask outside and social distance, which, again, don't get me started on where all that stuff nonsense originated from and why it doesn't mean anything but they um they broke down i i would assume it's because they looked over at the state fair said damn they got screwed and decided (laughs) to not do this i I think that's exactly what happened and it's interesting how much the local media you really can't count on these people for any kind of in-depth reporting but they've been covering for the last couple weeks the low turnout at the state fair and um i I've lived in New Mexico multiple times, a grand total of six years, and I've always wanted to get to the state fair. But uh, being a person who has not taken the syringe, uh, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna run, uh, run, run through that process. Um, it was interesting. One of the articles, I think, one of the local network affiliates, they talked to the top guy at the state fair, I, the technically Expo New Mexico, and he said, "Oh, I think it was the heat. That's why we had uh, a big, uh, you know, a, a much low attend- lower attendance than we were expecting. I, I don't think it had an awful no, lot to, to do with the I, heat. I've lived here about it. I've lived here a pretty long time too, and I tend to remember hotter September. Yeah, New Mexicans know a little bit about heat. I, I think we're kind of we're kind of used to it. But um, it's interesting you, you mentioned that Thaddeus the the mask requirement on the show the other day. We were reading straight from the website on my big mainframe machine here the requirements for the masking, which is interesting. The uh, they actually lay out what type of mask, uh, how the mask, exactly what the mask has to cover, how it's to go around the ears, and the fact that you can't wear a costume mask as your mask. Apparently, you know, there's people in the balloon world who get dressed up and do wacky stuff, but that does not qualify. You have to have a Fauci-approved mask, and it's just dumb luck. I'm not trying to inject myself into this, but I live right here in my apartment across the street from the Balloon Fiesta Park. So I'm going to get a real sense of how how many people are, are, are turning out for this. And uh, we got a text or a caller the other day who said they were in Arizona on a short, maybe like a long weekend trip kind of thing. And they were talking to people who had looked at New Mexico, but saw that a lot of these restrictions are still in place. And they just started looking at other places. So from a traffic standpoint, if if attendance is down, I, I will be happy. Very delighted, actually. Last year was a gift from the gods when it was canceled altogether. But yeah. um, I, I don't know. You've got the city now saying and the county, Bernalillo County and the city of Albuquerque saying they're not going to require vaccinations for their employees. And now we're seeing backpedaling on the biggest tourist event, probably not just in Albuquerque, but in the state every year, uh, you know, brings in they, they estimate hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't know. The good guys won won a couple of rounds lately. So it's encouraging. Yeah, and hopefully this this kind of continues as we kind of get deeper and deeper into the season. Really, the State Fair for me has just been all about the food. And I now know that I can just go to any kind of local fest that's nearby and maybe get my my elephant ears or funnel cake or, you know, turkey. Navi taco like and fry bread. Mm, yes. See, yeah, we actually went to Santa Fe a couple of weeks back, me and the wife, and we're, we were able to get a lot of our kind of 
their food flare nice. just going to the plaza instant diabetes but we do it anyway <laughs> hey dude i love it to death man it's the one time a year where i eat like complete garbage and don't feel guilty about it but nah i am yeah hopefully you're right hopefully this is you know the good guys have actually won for change and stuff like that. So we, we've whoop. been losing for a long time. So we'll take oh. our victories where we can get them. <laughs> oh, no, not only are we losing, uh, we're getting we're we're losing on on many economic fronts, on cultural right. fronts. We're yeah. getting curb stomped at every turn. But yes, maybe I don't know if uh, saner heads will prevail because we still have a bunch of lunatics up in the roundhouse and the associated infrastructure buildings and bureaucracy around the around house but i think you know they're going to start seeing some really ugly unintended consequences to these vaccine mandates no matter where you even if you you, you get the compliance you think you're going to get i have um i am of the opinion that the great resignation atlas shrugging is happening and will continue to happen going forward if we keep on this path so mm -hmm. that's just I think me. there's a lot to that yeah yeah there's something to be said so um something to kind of you know, just kind of I don't know, mop-up operations for the Stapleton affair here. Um, and I definitely would like your input on this and stuff like that. So I guess the judge finally decided uh, we should probably seize the, you know, $1.5 billion of a million dollars of assets that this robotics learning management LLC that was basically just the grift um, that uh, our, our, our the former representative Stapleton uh, had an ownership in. Um, so, I mean... You're in the city. You guys have probably looked at this one to, you know, you know, it doesn't shock most of us. No. Nope. It's just like, oh, oh, so there was someone corrupt. I'm the cynical guy that thinks that, like, I don't know, man. She's been getting away with the grip for a grip, bro. So whose beak didn't get wet? Who did she upset? Whatever. Also, and on a, on a, on, the, on another note, there's four people on the school board who are not seeking re-election. True. And so is this another white pill here of APS cleaning up and, you know, the state, you know, mainly, mainly APS cleaning up. I don't think the rep, her being a representative is nearly as, um, I don't know, as, is as gross as the fact that she was an APS employee and all this other nonsense. Sure. I mean, and that's, uh, I wrote a piece for rockoftalk.chat, uh, which you could subscribe to right now, ladies and gentlemen, about exploring this issue of Cheryl, Sherry's been a very bad girl. We know that. I think we can, I don't know that we even have to wait for the trial. I mean, just Thaddeus, I read the 35 page search warrant. It, I sent it to my mother who back in Connecticut, who we, we, we enjoy reading about government corruption. And I just said, start reading on page 11 and go all the way to the end because you will be laughing out loud at this bust out operation that basically she's been running. But a way we could have forestalled this, we could have stopped it before it ever happened was to have a provision in law or in the state constitution that a lot of states have. They don't permit public employees at any level to serve in the legislature. If you're a paid public employee, uh, you know, school district or work for the city or the county or the state, uh, in many states, there's actually a constitutional provision. My favorite is Kentucky. Uh, no person shall at the same time be a state officer or deputy officer or member of the General Assembly and an officer of any county, city, town, or other municipality, or an employee thereof. It makes it very, very clear. Um, Cheryl was able to channel this money as a legislator to the school district that she happened to work for, and then use these grants, funnel that money to private and nonprofit entities that she had some sort of stake in or, or outright controlled. Mm -hmm. um, real, real simple way to solve this problem, folks. Just bar all public employees from serving, for serving the legislature. And it's interesting that in New Mexico, 
county employees and state employees are actually barred, but municipal employees and school district employees, and I would assume they'd probably, the courts would be friendly toward quasi-public entities like conservation districts and spaceports and things like that. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure they would be brought in, uh, you know, under the under the fence as well. Um, you know, tighten that language up. I mean, a lot of state, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, all over the place, uh, New Jersey uh, locked up this provision a couple years ago when their corruption was totally out of control when New Jersey's more ethical than your state. You you know you have a, a, a very, very big problem. So my fear here with her getting the justice that she deserves, and as you said, so many other people need to be indicted too, is this was done by the state attorney general and not by the federal government. The feds are looking at the money angle of this and, and like you said, locking up the money. But I was really hoping that the federal government's, the Department of Justice's uh, public corruption unit would do this because anything controlled within New Mexico, I mean, it... We just had uh, a mayor, a mayor in Las Vegas, yes, who was remember. convicted uh, of uh, official uh, malfeasance, and then a former member of uh, Governor Martinez's cabinet, I believe was Demisia Padilla, I think, uh, convicted. And judges gave them basically slap on their slaps on the wrist. And if there's a timeline somewhere where I have of the last 20 years of corruption, where people who are prosecuted at the state level and where state judges pass sentence. They really get away with, uh, let's say, murder against the taxpayer, let's say. And Sherry, we know 26 out of 28 of those indictments were felonies. So they're more serious. But boy, there's a long record in this state of, of very kid gloves when it comes to convicted public officials. It's very disturbing. And the fact that the, a municipal worker can serve, but... You know, that's just a loophole, a, a, like a truck-sized loophole to oh, drive through. Tremendous. And the other issue is so much of local government in in uh, – I come from a part of the world, northeast United States, where local government is very, very autonomous. They control most of their authority. They uh, raise most of their revenue. In New Mexico, school districts and municipalities are – I mean, they're just – they literally have to get state approval to issue their annual audited results at the end of the fiscal year. Um, the state has to sign off on what their uh, property tax rates are. I mean, it's, there's a tremendous amount of state control and state funding of those local entities. And that's how Cheryl got away, I think, with uh, saw those opportunities and, and took them. Um, politicians in the old days would talk about was honest gra graft and dishonest graft. She was working the honest graft with her job there, but it wasn't enough for her. She had to go for the dishonest graft uh, as well. And she's, as you said, she's just one of many. And yeah. um, mm -hmm. uh, I just think that the, the, the DOJ could just set up a full shop here in the state and have uh, full-time jobs for dozens and dozens of investigators and attorneys. And if they're listening, I might have a couple of tips for them. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first folks. No, it's funny because the DOJ will jump all over like, you know, police municipalities right absolutely um, and basically handcuff them and of course we've seen love or hate it the results of that yep. over the last decade here mm -hmm. particularly in the albuquerque metro um but yeah like to really get into a state right i mean i don't think i've seen anything probably as comprehensive coming from at least i've heard of coming from the doj since the the good old days of new orleans oh, yeah. where you know <laughs> right but <laughs> you, you know it is what it is man and i I don't know. So speaking of state funding and other other stuff, this is the one that I'm very, very interested in because I've been saying this for forever. So New Mexico state senators, of course, have filed suit against our queen, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, pertaining to federal uh, fund spending. So for those of you who don't know, and for, and now as I kind of step through this, correct me if I've gone astray sure. or wrong. So 
you have um candle oh sorry was it jacob candelaria and greg baca right they're, they're suing uh, michelle lujan grisham because you know she got this federal money all this stimulus from last year right in most states this happened yep yep where the money was appropriated by the congress handed to the states the states aren't let's just say it's almost like some states are holding on to it like a slush fund. Yes. <laughs> right? So she got American Recovery Act funds. They're suing because they want the power to basically say through the, through the legislative process to be like, hey, here's how you should appropriate and or spend money. And Michelle's like, nah. Nah, nah, that's me. That's all yep. me. Yep. yep. And so they're suing, right? So they're basically they've finally got off their duffs and be like, Oh, constitutionally, all the things we've let you get away with over the past year and a half. Right. Right. But when it comes to money, that's our graft. Yep. Right. Yeah. We want something. You got to get some bug geeks wet. That's, that's my cynicism talking, but please explain to me why, because we have a lot of money that's been appropriated. It isn't going to get spent or will get spent on, in my opinion, pet projects under these emergency use uh what, emergency um, orders that is you're too cruel to yourself that's not your cynicism that's your wisdom speaking i would say <laughs> i um you know I've, I've on october 15th that'll be my 29th anniversary of working in in policy and and, and researching our um our public servants and you're right about the money and, and, it, and you're absolutely right about uh, i i thought i was going to make this point you made you made it before i did which is uh they've really i don't know just f- fallen down and and gotten into a fetal position and ignored the fact that she is been violating at least the principle, whether or not you can get a judge to agree in terms mm-hmm. of our, our constitutional authority, ceding the legislative authority to the governor when it comes to this public health crisis. I mean, we literally, and, and I've been beating this dead horse for months, we, we don't have defined in law or, or in regulation what a public health crisis is. A public health crisis is whatever the governor wants it to be. And that mm, seems to be yes. true in a lot of other states, too. Um, and the governor can continue to declare these public health crises, and there's no role for the legislature. And even in state statute, I think it's called the All Hazards Emergency Act, It's the and people often say, well, you, you don't have to adhere to this, and local law enforcement doesn't have to enforcement enforce this stuff. No, it's in the law. It basically says any lawful order by the governor has to be enforced by local law enforcement. Um, she has this authority. If you don't like the fact that she has this authority, change the law is my argument. Stop whining about, you know, we're going to sue them and we're going to win in court. Well, you know, that that's a that's a 50-50 proposition at best. I don't know how um, many people we've had on here that have gone to, through, through our judicial system that yeah, basically yeah. been spit out of the other end of it yeah. like well that was pointless <laughs> yeah but it, but again the legislature still the legislature they could change this law and frankly even as the most hardcore libertarian alive if there if there was some catastrophic alien invasion type thing uh, or ebola uh, in a state i wouldn't have that much of an issue seating a 15 day emergency oh, no. period to the c period to the governor but that's it. I mean, the legislature has to come into session at that point and continue to renew these emergency or, or, or orders, or or we don't have divided government in the, in this country, which I guess we don't seem to have anymore. But but back to this issue, the money. You're right about the money, and I, I wrote something, um, a big piece on Rock of Talk chat this week about. It. I'll just run down some of the amounts of money that have come in to the state that are under the control of either the state government or local governments or tribal governments. We've gotten. billion for K through 12 government schools. We've gotten $545 million for uh, people in rental housing to help them 
you know, you can't evict them, but then we're also going to help them uh, with their rent. We've got 451 million for early childhood education, the immense boondoggle that is early childhood education and Head Start. 336 million for what is said to be transportation. We'll see if that's actually transportation related allocations. Uh, this one just drives me crazy. $245 million for food assistance. Hunger in this country is a non-existent problem. Our, one of our top health problems is obesity in this country. We, we have child abuse in this country. We have sexual abuse. We have uh, family fragmentation. We have suicide. We have terrible problems. Hunger is not one of the problems we have uh, in this country. We had $22 million for economic development. We got $5 million for museums, the arts, and libraries as part of our coronavirus relief, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. About Ten and a half billion of that twenty plus billion is controlled by the state, uh, state agencies. Uh, there's been some hearings this month on that. So you're right; it's an enormous amount of money. And uh, to see the Republicans, this is the hill they're going to die on. Uh, we want we want more control of that money so we can buy votes. We don't want the governor alone to be able to buy votes. Um, you know, it's kind of it kind of indicates where the state of the Republican Party in New Mexico is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've like we've had we've been very. Uh, blessed to have a lot of kind of you know GOP apparatchiks on the show and I mean it seems to me that the rank and file knows what needs to happen what must happen particularly if they come from down south but like there's something to be said about the fact that like th yeah this is the hill you want to die on not the last I'm I'm saying I'm not saying that they haven't sp spoken out about these emergency health orders that have absolutely decimated business particularly small business in rural areas here um but yeah guys I don't like this this kind of you know, for lack of a better word, piss and vinegar should have been like lit and yeah. you should have gotten bipartisan support on like the shutdowns lasting longer than, you know, a month. Yeah. And there, and there was, there was a couple articles, I think in the Santa Fe paper in the early months of this, I think even Damon Eli, the very far left progressive from Corrales was saying, you know, maybe we want to look at, at rewriting some of this law and not giving dictatorial power because it's so funny to see Team Red and Team Blue talk about uh, autocracy. Well, you know, when your guy's in power, you love autocracy. Oh, and, and then suddenly you become this divided government, the, you know, the tribute of, 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 of divided government when it's used against you or it's benefiting the other party. So uh, give, give, give him credit for making at least some sounds. But with the person we have in the governor's office in the governor's office uh i think that all that was going to be vetoed very quickly yeah yeah so i mean hopefully this amounts to something um i'm not terribly optimistic being that i mean the judiciary is captured completely oh. captured so <laughs> you know hideous, hideous and, 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 worse than the legislature i would say really oh dude yeah. i mean you know from from family court on the, all the way down to just like you know, we, we talked about we, we've had uh, back we've had the owner of Backstreet Grill on, yeah, and they're and you know we've chronicled their fight, and you know once a, you know once they basically said yeah generally speaking you know you can't do this we've now shutting you down and stuff like that, and then we of course we had the city and you know state coming in and wanting to cut off utilities after the place had closed down, that is vindictive yep. in this nature, and so yeah here's hoping. Um, one more issue here before we kind of get to really the elephant in the room, right? And that's basically the, the New Mexico Department of Health on preparing to distribute the Pfizer booster shot. So first and foremost, like this is this is typically the stuff that usually gets us pulled or flagged. First and foremost, oh, let, me, let me let me dovetail with this and stuff like that. So, okay, so the Centers for Disease Control basically without really with – um, I don't know if they're ignoring the FDA's advice, but just basically saying – 
nah, it'll be fine. Basically, has um, authorized that groups, affected groups, uh, people over the age of 65 and those who are immunocompromised, you know, will now have access to this booster shot. <clears throat> and so, you know, they're preparing for that. And now I'm in, I've read this article where they're all, they're starting to slowly extend it to, oh, and also people who can get it are healthcare workers and people who work in, you know, um, uh, in at risk areas and stuff like that, which this is how it started. And then it became a mandate. Um, so don't know your, but you're feeling so much about the, the, the jab. Uh, but it, generally speaking, are we on the slow road to like getting, like requiring boosters throughout the state as well as the mandate that is basically killing our workforce? Well, I mean, I, I, it, it's sad to see, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham's administration embrace the complete, wholly embrace the whole narrative, you know, the Fauciite narrative, where we do have some governors who have been willing to stand up to this. Um, something we've been talking about for months is the uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida mandating that the you have to disclose the number of cycle thresholds for anyone who tests positive with a PCR test for coronavirus, which will give you more of an indication of how infectious or infected that person was. Um, I've got a piece coming up uh, this week looking at how we could take our dashboard in New Mexico and provide people more information. There was a study done by, I think it was Tufts and some, some maybe Harvard, looking at the number of people hospitalized, determining the severity of how many people are on oxygen, how many people are you know getting their breathing apparatus versus people who have low to moderate level symptoms. Well, that's, that's a big, there's a big gap between that. You could be on a ventilator and almost near death, or you could be more of a hypochondriac and running into the hospital and insisting that you get the, the earliest available bed. We need to know those numbers. But again, you know, MLG is, is totally embraced the, the narrative 100%. She's going to do whatever, you know, comes out of, comes out of Fauciism. But, you know, I, I, I hold to the libertarian position that if you want to take this syringe, take it. It's your business. It's none of my damn business. Um, I don't, I haven't taken it because I'm not concerned about coronavirus. I'm not, I don't think it's as, as our, our friend across the pond there, Michael Yeadon, the, the former Pfizer executive said, it's, it's a middling virus. It really affects a very, you know, a quarter of the population, older people, sicker people. Um, I'm still in my forties. I'm in very good health. I don't have a, a, a history of respiratory problems. I don't have uh, obesity and hypertension, diabetes, all these things that are really the comorbidities that are associated with, with COVID. Uh, I have parents who are well into their elder years. They're pushing 80. They live in the heart of the hot zone, the, the Connecticut River Valley um, in the Northeast, where the, the numbers are the highest. And they are not taking it because of their ethical position as Catholics and the, the linkage to abortion going back. I, I have mixed feelings about my folks not taking that. They are older. They are more in that danger zone. They're yeah. also farmers who are outside every day and super healthy. So that that tends to probably reduce their risk greatly. But I don't know how a libertarian could have anything but the position of you do you, you do me. That's what libertarianism is all about. I'm not going to uh, not speak to someone anymore because they chose to, to get these shots. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's their call. Um, sure. doesn't seem like they work all that well, given uh, what's what we're seeing coming out of Israel and UK where they have even higher vaccination rates right. than we do. I mean, uh, aren't we supposed to follow the science, but I think we're supposed to follow the narrative and the science was cast aside a long time ago. Yeah, this is true. So like, here's a couple of things about that. You actually kind of touched on a couple of subjects. First and foremost. Yeah. Like take it if you, if you must also, the, the, the severe lack 
particularly at the state level. Maybe I'm I'm wrong at New Mexico. I haven't seen it, but like of the seroprevalence kind of studies exactly. that need to be done. Much more valuable. That, that are much more valuable when it comes to really dealing with that denominator, when it comes to, you know, infections versus cases versus hospitalizations versus deaths. And then your comorbidities, which is all, which always been a bugaboo. It's funny you say about the cycle thresholds, right? The moment after the inauguration of the current regime, the CDC did actually present guidance about lowering cycle thresholds. And it was led by places like Florida. They were just like, well, what are you doing exactly? Right. What is the cycle? I mean, we had we had issues with the cycle thresholds early on. And 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 not to mention the fact that like it's it's not a particularly great test diagnostic no, tool. No. And the guy um, who invented it uh, understood its its strengths and its weaknesses. Its weaknesses, right? You know. I understood it's the best we had at the time. Yep. But again, the fact that seroprevalent studies aren't just the one of the major weapons, as as well as the RT uh, as the RTT uh, PCR tests, mm-hmm. is is kind of a crime. Um, it also the fact of the matter is, with, with that knowledge, with what we know monoclonal antibodies which were which were things that were kind of in, not necessarily invented but things that were spun up as a result of finding out from seroprevalent studies who had been infected right right, right. And, and so all these things are preposterous and now we've moved to this mandate and now there's studies showing that i don't think a booster six months after you've been fully vaccinated is a great idea mm-hmm. be exact for the mr mrna vaccines it's looking increasingly like you need to not wait like four to six weeks you need to wait four to six months between right. doses right right that will probably help you also again we need seroprevalent studies to know that is the group that is being vaccinated and then ending up in necessarily in the hospital or not ending up in a hospital or people who had previous infection was that based on people who had previous infection versus people who didn't exactly and of the unvaccinated which one of those people had, based on a seroprevalent study, never were infected, which is impossible <laughs> to believe, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and just on the testing, we have had, I think, uh, Eddie and I laugh about it because we look at the numbers every couple of days. I think we've had over 4 million tests. We don't know exactly which type of test and which numbers. Over 4 million tests in New Mexico for the Rona, and we only have 2.1 million people in the state. Uh, it would be nice. It, it would be nice to know how many people were getting tested multiple times. How many of those were one tests? You know, how many people in the state have actually not, like me, have never been tested and don't intend to get tested? And this, I'm, I really sound like a conspiracy nut, uh, Thaddeus, when I say this, but it'd be interesting to me. I have. I never wear the mask. I'm out living my life. I, I, I in the first few weeks, I was a little concerned. I thought, well, boy, this everybody if, was. You know, right? if it's a 3.5 percent <laughs> infection fatality rate, that's a hell of a lot worse than than most respiratory diseases. But um, I pretty much live my life. I'm with out in Corrales with uh, hundreds of dogs on a daily basis. I'm. I may have been. I may have in, inhaled it. Uh, maybe I have the antibodies. Maybe I have the T cells. But I'm at the point where I don't trust. And I sound crazy here. You're going to laugh at me, but I don't trust the healthcare industry anymore. I don't want to be part of your clown town system. I don't want to be in your records. I would love to go get a test, you know, a blood test. I don't think a PCR test would be helpful, but and An I'm not going to do it. I'm staying out of the, of the world you've created is so divorced from reality and it's becoming so creepily totalitarian. I don't want to be a part of this. Uh, and it, it pains me to say that because I think like a lot of Americans, my whole life I've lived 
saying the healthcare industry and people in healthcare are honorable and trustworthy, and they just they're just looking out for our best interest. I sound like a kook right now, and I'm I, I still can't believe it as the words come out of my mouth. But I don't want to be. I want my name to appear in your records at all. I don't want to be part of this system. Uh, history's not going to look kindly at the panic that raged over this. Uh, I don't want somebody from the health department calling me up and saying, you know, we, we saw this and you, you there was a was contract tracing here and you were at this restaurant and, you know, you were tested here, but we want you to get you tested again because you, because we saw on your phone, because Descartes labs is helping Dr. Disgrace track our movements in New Mexico, which is, <laughs> is actually happening. I, I think at the, at the broad level, not at the individual level, right, it's, right. it's a creepy time to live in America. And my, I guess my view is just civil disobedience, uh, withdrawal and disgust and just try to stay out of it as much as I can and just live my damn life. Yeah, this doesn't stop until we make it stop. And r realistically, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that people maybe come to their senses at some point. But yeah, you're right. I mean, look, don't feel bad about not having faith in um, any institution anymore. We've learned a lot in the last year yep. that undermines our very faith in every institution yes, that yes. we used to hold dear. I didn't have much faith to lose, but it, it, I guess um, if you look at the Gallup polling, they've, they've asked these questions for decades. You know, what what institutions do Americans respect the most? And healthcare and science are, you know, one and two or two and three all, all the time. And uh, I think we've seen the, the penetration of ideology uh, we, we knew if you asked me two years ago, I would have said, of course, it's penetrated K through 12 and higher education and, and the media. What I haven't, what I hadn't understood is how much it had penetrated healthcare, science and corporate America. I've been a libertarian activist and researcher for almost 30 years. We've always railed against corporate America and saying, you know, these guys opt out of every fight. You know, if it's a tax, they just don't want controversy. If it's a tax hike, if it's a regulatory scheme, if it's single payer health care, why aren't they on our side fighting with us? Well, I think in the last year and a half, we found out where corporate America stands on the things we care about. Not only are they not with us, they're against us. They're yeah, all in actively. on vaccine mandates. They're all in on woke garbage, which I think is poisoning this country. We, we, we've come so far in mm -hmm. race relations and, and, and putting a lot of that horrible past that, that was very real in America. You're a fool if you deny it. Um, I think there are some kind of cartoon conservatives out there who think of everything that ever happened in America is wonderful. No, <laughs> yeah. we, we really did lynch people. We really did prey on Chinese people. A lot of terrible things have happened in America. American history, but boy, have we come so so far! And just in the last year and a half, that we've reversed course. And to, to to be getting emails with companies that I'm, I get you know a membership in or something, some fast food restaurant or yeah. uh, fast casual Chipotle or LL Bean. Hey, right. Did they give you the inclusion, relations. equity, and and whatever? Or what also, they, they started that crap during coronavirus, where it's just like we're doing yep. everything to protect you. It's just like, dude, you're McDonald's. I don't yeah. care. Yep. I'm yep. like, yep. I just use your app. Because I, you know, get like a couple dollars off like a cheeseburger, exactly. dog. Exactly. I don't really care about what you're doing in here. Yep. First of all, yep. I never eat in a McDonald's, so don't, right. don't, right. don't, 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 you don't have to assure me that you're keeping the inside of the McDonald's clean. <laughs> hey, B, I don't really give a damn about your diversity, inclusion, and equity, whatever. However, yep. I've seen it a lot. I'm in, you know, I have a, I have a couple side businesses, and it's, it's absolutely penetrated every aspect of dealing with the regulatory state Insane. it's pretty gross um and well i mean I, we've been as i said from for years we've been clamoring when is corporate america going to come in and help us on the side of capitalism and freedom and individuality 
Now I long for the days when they didn't weigh in on anything. Can yeah, we go exactly. back to that and just be quiet about everything? <laughs> yes, could we please go away? I like I, I don't care if you care about me. Um I just I sell just, me socks and I'll I, give you the money. You yes. give me good socks and I'm good. Yeah, and it's and that's what makes it very disappointing and makes it hard as you know, someone who likes to tote the small L libertarian label of like defending business, right? And defending big pharma, right? Like love or hate the fact that like it's big pharma. Right, which honestly, it's really big farmer grabbing a small company, you know, oh, yeah. bringing it into the mothership and then mass producing what they do. But yeah, I I have no faith in these institutions because of the people who run them now, basically from their again diversity, inclusion, and whatever the, the department, inculcating that into things like science. I used to be the biggest proponent of tech companies. Now I look across the street at Facebook building their megalopagus of a data center with pause because it, I don't trust you anymore. All right. And you're building the technological terrors of the future because you're trying to include in your algorithms. Oh, we got to make sure that they're inclusive. We got to make sure there's no bullying. We got to make sure there's no hate speech mm. for which we will probably get pulled or flagged in this particular exchange and video oh, yeah. going forward. So, I'm a denier. I'm a denier. Yeah, man. I, I like again. Uh, again, it, it, it definitely. I have definitely gotten smarter over the last 18 months, or definitely gotten. Uh, I've been more. What's the word I'm looking for? Empathetic to the leftist view when it comes to concentrations of power. Yeah. Even yeah. at the corporate level, it's it's <laughs> worth the second look. I think by a lot of us, and God knows, I've written columns over the years supporting corporate America's freedom to do what it what it's done within mm. a mostly free capitalist sphere. But uh, I've not, not anymore, and it's just kind of dumb luck again. I, I've been reading a book, uh, a, a book I read long ago, but hadn't really given it the attention it deserved called um, uh, The Illusion of Victory, America in World War One. Uh, and it's a story about the loathsome Woodrow Wilson, whose corpse we need to dig up and, 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 and incinerate again. Um, yes. And, and what happened domestically when America went into this war rage about Germany and how Wilson's, uh, the, I think it was called the Committee of Public Information, George Creel, uh, and this was all pretty much all government. Um, of course, big tech didn't exist at that time, but newspapers kind of came along with this, with demonizing Germany as the sole villain in World War One. And before right. you go crazy, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about World War One here. World War One, which was a fight between European empires where there really was no. Yeah, big it was guy. a bunch. Of, it was a bunch of. It was a bunch of kings and cousins uh, beefing. Hitler was <laughs> a twenty-year-old corporal with no power in World War One. World War Two was a totally different affair, although some people say a continuation in, in a little way of, yeah. of World War One. The country went crazy, and of course, one of our large largest ethnic groups in America was was and continues to be German Americans and the uh, beatings that took place and in, in, in German language newspapers that were smashed and the censorship that took place of course the, the, the federal government took over the railroads domestically during World War one uh, we've seen this before in American history it's very very ugly when someone is seized upon whether it's you know what I would say largely the non-existence of white supremacy as a force in this country or mm -hmm. the unvaccinated, yes. uh, you know we're becoming the undesirables. And when everybody piles in, when it's being directed from the federal government, when media is starting to pile in, when uh, you know chambers of commerce and local committees were were set up to investigate other Americans because there were so many German spies in America, they never really found much of anything. They put Eugene V. Debs. Uh, a, socialist who I don't have a lot of sympathy for, but they put him in jail uh, for exercising his First Amendment rights. They put other 
people who were far less famous than uh, Eugene V. Debs in, in jail for even people reporting that they heard, overheard someone in a bar say, you know, I don't think Germany is really to blame for this war. There's so many other complex factors going on there. You know, they put a guy in jail for a year and a half. It was it was a crazed time in America. I can't recommend that book enough. The Illusion of Victory by Thomas Fleming. And, uh, you know, well, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus during uh, the Civil War. There's yeah. many, many I, yeah. books that have been written about Lincoln's assault on civil liberties during the, the Civil War. And there were there was at least one ruling against him by the Supreme Court. And Lincoln said, well, let the, you know, the Supreme Court has made his decision. Now let it enforce it. Um, those are some ugly times, some very, very ugly times when when some type of enemy uh, that you could even get into the uh, rules for radicals, you know, fixate on the enemy, target that enemy. You know, pour your all your attention and focus on that evil enemy, and we've seen that in the last year and a half in America on the race issue and on the so-called public health issue. Public health. These yeah. are scary times. I'm almost 50 years old, uh, Thaddeus. I I've never seen America like this in my lifetime. And it's funny you read that book, right? I mean, that is a great analogy to what the hell's had going on today when it comes to the unvaccinated, right? Being the the Huns yep. of yep. our of the day. And yeah, I mean, another good book to read is The Great Awakening in 1861, where you basically see the 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 bubbling of up of what was going on um, from a uh, political standpoint, from a regional standpoint, kind of the same things we're seeing today. This whole public health crisis, as it has been now at this point, pretty much manufactured. It is hard to talk about the nuance of the, the Wuhan lab leak theory, right? And there is nuance in that. There's, it's hard to talk about like treatment options. It's hard to talk about the, the anatomy of what was basically misinformation to the public and how, no offense, that kind of scared the heck out of the previous administration. Because remember, it was the previous administration that started this. Indeed. Indeed. We can't, we can't, we can't, you know, just because he had a come to Jesus moment in October right. <laughs> 2020 doesn't mean he didn't begin the 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 you know inflicting this regime because he was given bad science. Oh, science Donald Trump was bad mouthing Sweden. Uh, he, yes. in those early months, uh, he, he you know he said we don't want to be Sweden, and of course he trusted Fauci and Burks. He he didn't have, you know, Donald Trump didn't come out of of a lot with a lot of experience in the federal bureaucracy where you need to be very wary of these people giving you expert advice. Right. Uh, he he did what a lot of us did. He he trusted the so called experts and didn't know that there was a much larger agenda. Behind, lurking behind what was supposed to be something good for all of us. Yeah, that has always been my biggest bugaboo with Donald Trump. Not the mean tweets, not the fact that he did very unlibertarian things, <laughs> is that he did not understand how to wield power. And yeah. he learned a very tough lesson because two, the first two years of his administration was hampered with the Russian collusion hoax, then the Ukrainian hoax, and then the coronavirus, which turned from a public health a public health emergency of concern to literally a pandemic to literally something that they basically bludgeoned them over the head with yeah, yeah. and so it is what it is um you know elections have consequences ladies and gentlemen well i would say you know normally at the federal level at least the, the federal government runs on autopilot yeah uh, the entitlement state there no republicans have ever made any kind of serious attempt to, to, to take back to cut away at the entitlement state, the military industrial complex. But in the last year and a half, we had these tw twin moral panics of public health. And then this return to this race obsession, which is insane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say at a time like this, elections do matter. Uh, much of my life elections have not mattered. And I generally <laughs> don't vote. But uh, when you have a, when you have a societal collapse, when you have corporate America embracing craziness, when you have public health 
I was saying to Eddie on the air the other day that these public health laws in New Mexico and at the state level elsewhere, they were like mines from World War II floating around the North Sea. Every so often you read about one of these things, they, some fisherman encounters one of them and the, the bomb ordinance disposal guys have to come in and, and see if it's still active or not. These were sitting there sitting in statute waiting to be exploited by yeah. power crazed governors mm -hmm. and it's a testament frankly it's an indictment of people those of us in the freedom movement who we're always reacting to what's going on, whether it's taxes or healthcare or energy. Um, it would have been nice to have some, you know, MacArthur genius grants for some libertarians out there to say, what's down the what's down the road? What's waiting in law or regulation that they haven't figured out how, how to exploit yet, but could kill us uh, a year or a decade from now? It was just waiting for them to be exploited. And the case law, I hate to say it, I've talked to attorneys all the time who are very optimistic about tearing apart this architecture that they've built of, of, of oppression, but the case law is not great from, at least from my, uh, you know, my unofficial, unexpert opinion that, you know, going back to the Jacobson ruling where you, they, they could mandate a fine if you refuse to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Generally, courts have said public health falls under the police protection power of the state and in furtherance of the legitimate role of government in protecting the public public health is whatever they say it is and that's yeah. very disturbing and uh i i think we'll get we'll win in the courts here and there and we'll lose in the courts here and there moving on but in, in terms of any kind of ultimate victory i'm 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 skeptical yeah because even if we were to take the the soon to be drafted orders from osha when it comes to mandating x number uh, if a employer has x number of employees he he's, he or she is to either institute testing and or mandatory vaccinations it's going to be a long time before one i think they're slow slow walking those rules anyway because they know it's unconstitutional from the, sure. from the federal government <laughs> standpoint but you have too many governors and too many really at this point corporations very anxious to enforce this because they want and corporations want to be indemnified against you know what Absolutely. what this what this could potentially cause long term down the road we don't know all right yeah we don't know we don't know we don't know please don't block us or yep. Or, yep. or or shut us down they want protection from liability and they, they want, want regulatory and tax certainty that's what yes. corporate america wants and they're willing to throw any it, of us it, over the side for those priorities yeah. and they'll do that right and but like by the time i i fear that any of this gets to the supreme court and stuff like that they'll take a very because this court particularly the the roberts court has been very nuanced in its striking down of things that are egregiously unconstitutional as yep. opposed to being much more sweeping about like no this is crap from you know root and branch get <laughs> yep. it out of here yep. they're yep. not doing that and so that leaves the door open for whatever so yes i wish we need to definitely look through a lot more of our statutes going forward. There have been things that have been passed over the last 18 months at state and local levels mm -hmm. that will come back to bite us again if an actual Ebola comes, right? That'll actually be a test. If an actual Ebola comes where, you know, yeah, we may want these things, but we're going to realize that it's going to make life worse if we institute these things. And then once they are instituted, they will never be able to be pulled back. Exactly. And, that, and that that's, that's the whole course of government. It just, you know, I think there's a Jefferson quote about the natural course is for liberty to give way and, and government to grow. But what I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that it, it, it took me a year into this nightmare just to, I don't know if I was sleeping or trying to go to sleep and this, this bolt out of the blue came into my mind, which is we at the state level, at the county level, at the national level, we've never defined what a public health crisis is. Yeah. And so, as I said before, if, if we never defined it, I don't know how, and you know, I, I, maybe we couldn't define it adequately in statute or in regulation, but at least let's have some hearings on from 
people who are not ideological, uh, ideologically nuts. What constitutes a, a, a public health crisis? Because the flu comes every winter and kills tens of thousands of Americans, and they're and they're not all old and yeah. sick. That you can kill young Americans. I was looking at the mortality reports from the state a couple of weeks ago, and we had four pediatric influenza deaths, or three, I'm sorry, in the in the bad flu year of 2017, 2018, we had three pediatric influenza deaths that winter. We have had four coronavirus deaths, uh, 17 and under, in the last year and a half. So basically, what we've gone through with the terrible toll on our children in New Mexico equals something that happened in the winter of 2017, 2018, when no one was talking about this, and there was no public health crisis. So what is a public health crisis? Is it, is it, does it involve the infection fatality rate? Does it involve what percent of the, of the population is susceptible to this disease? Can yeah. we at least some start objective this measure. conversation? Yeah, some objective measure, right? Yep. Um, but the objective measure going forward for public health emergency will probably end up being environmental in, in, in nature because <laughs> I, 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 there there is no end to this. And okay. I think people think that, all right, well, then I'll get the jab or I'll get the booster or I'll get this or I'll get that. It doesn't end there. They've no. seen it. They've tasted it. And they're not going to give it away. Well, I mean, okay. you know, what did Trotsky, you know, you may not be interested in, what was it, the war, but war is interested in you. I mean, it's the great, to their great credit, Americans even today try to live their lives, their kids, their grandkids, their businesses, watching Dancing with the Stars, and they don't care about government. The problem is when lots and lots of your fellow countrymen start to care about government and want to regulate and tax you, then you need to start paying attention. I mean, if it's 1838, you can ignore the government and it has almost no effect on you. In 2021, you need to pay attention or you could lose your livelihood. And we're seeing that every day. Boom. So, hey, let's let's talk mayor's race. Ooh. Yeah. I so can no. actually talk about it on this forum. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, this is this is this is this is kind of another reason why. Look. All, yeah, full disclosure, man. I've known down for a little bit, man. He's really, he's really on the come up now. He's big time. He's on the radio with Eddie Aragon. He's <laughs> blasted at I don't know how many kilowatts of power across <laughs> the you know the 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 Central Valley here in New Mexico and stuff like that. So your uh, your boss there, uh, your your man is running for governor, and <laughs> he's uh, you know what's. What's the pitch? Uh, well, I, he would be the first to tell you that he's not my boss. I'm, I'm not trying to be defensive, but uh, we, we have an association. Eddie's, Eddie has an interesting philosophy. He doesn't hire anybody. He doesn't have any employees. He just does everything through sort of contracts. And I oh, I think it's it's interesting because he doesn't want to be in charge of people. He has a very full life being a businessman and a father, and now he's running for mayor. Uh, and I, I kind of was skeptical at that at, at the beginning, but now I think it, it works really well. So the people you hear on, on the air are people he has – arrangements with various arrangements but none of them are actual employees and uh, i think he probably he has a lot fewer hassles in his life by not having any employees because <laughs> when you manage people it's a nightmare yes um, so true. as he says like you know if you want to come in today you can if you, if you don't you know you're it's, it's entirely up to you but um i'm usually around most of the time my uh, my associate or maybe i'm his associate is running for mayor eddie aragon who is the owner of uh, kiva uh, we also broadcast on krsn up in los alamos in, in santa fe and the cool. best way to hear us is just abq.fm, uh, probably the best way. And you can sign up, get our apps. You can listen to the live stream, all that kind of stuff. And my original contents and the podcast of the show is available at rockoftalk.chat. Uh, Eddie is an 11th generation New Mexican. Uh, he was raised here. Uh, the, his boys are, are, are the 12th generation. Uh, went to UNM was involved in real estate. He worked in Phoenix and, and Vegas, uh, came back to his home state and uh, had an opportunity. I still don't know. 
how it happened, but he had an opportunity to take over this radio station and assume ownership and, and control of it. And if you've heard Eddie's voice, you probably aren't surprised that uh, he's pretty good on the radio, uh, the voice alone. But he's also, and I, and I would say, doesn't get enough credit because talk radio is always bashed by elites as you know mind numb robots i think rush used to say and and the, the, the talk show hosts are just repeat uh talking points to their mind numb robots uh, and he's a very sharp guy uh very sharp far more cultured than i am uh knows wine and opera and uh he, he just does not get the, the credit for for his intellect but of course he's also what you need to be on the radio, a big personality, a lot of bombast, a lot of alpha male behavior. And, and that's just who Eddie is. What you get on the air is pretty much what you get when the when the microphone is, is turned off. Eddie was uh, it was and is a, a Trumper, uh, uh, I guess a MAGA. Uh, I, guess I, used, probably... I used it on, a, in a, on another podcast I was on. I think I was, I'm MAGA curious. Yeah, <laughs> hey, publicly endorsed Trump in 2020 shows how much weight my endorsement carries. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah but we no, know, we know. You got all, you, you got a lot of crap for that. Oh, no, I, I sure mean, did. Hell, yeah. hell, hell, oh, hell, I, I got did. a lot. Of crap I also for got it, some, right? some some praise as well. But you know, the, the the MAGA issue is irrelevant for the mayor's race. There's really no, you know, nothing to do with trade or you know whatever. I mean, it, it, these are issues about basic quality of life, crime yes, issues, definitely. criminal justice issues, and, and economic development. And Eddie, uh, if you just go to fight for 505, fight for 505.com, you can read uh, his agenda. I think it was, uh, he spells out all the answers to the questions the Albuquerque Journal asked him in good detail. I think they said he could only have 50 words an answer, but he spells it all out, puts it up on his website. He's a very, very transparent uh, campaign, probably the most transparent camp campaign I'm aware of. Uh, Eddie did not plan. I mean, I, I guess I can't get into his mind, but I don't think he was planning to get into this. Then he discovered that you had a Democrat versus a Democrat. Uh, you had Manny Gonzalez, the sheriff, who has been sort of breaking bread with all sorts of really far left progressives like the governor, like Martin Heinrich, and he ended up, he's, he, there's records of him endorsing these kinds of people, and a number of Republicans, I guess the rump Republican Party that exists in some nebulous <laughs> form in greater Albuquerque, you know, they have one person elected to the legislature, I think they've been completely kicked out of the Senate, um, and then that operative Jay McCleskey, I guess they decided, well, we're going to run this Democrat uh, against the uh, someone who I imagine is, if we had polling data, is probably fairly unpopular. I mean, Albuquerque's going to set a record for murders. Uh, the economy is, uh, the unemployment rate in Albuquerque is actually higher than the state. Yeah. Uh, Tim Keller has been a disaster of a, of a mayor on, on so many levels. But I, Eddie, I think maybe thought about it, but he also, people maybe started to whisper in his, his ear a little bit and say, you know, there's no Republican in this race. We're going to have a mayoral race with no Republican for the first time since the 1970s. And wow. Eddie uh, has looked at running for other offices. I don't know that it took a lot of prodding to get him in. He's, he's looked at running for some other offices. So he jumped in very late, almost up to the deadline. Um, the expert said he would not get the signatures required to qualify. Well, guess what? He did. Uh, the expert said that he wouldn't be able to raise any money. Uh, from what I understand, he's raising money at a pretty good clip. I'm, I'm not part of the campaign. And to any uh, law enforcement people watching to come after me for uh, receiving money for being part of the campaign, I have nothing to do with the campaign. I don't volunteer on the campaign. I don't work for the campaign. I'm on the radio every day with Eddie, but that's what I've been doing for, for over a year. Uh, and the mayor race does come up occasionally on the air because it's kind of in the news. So I would just encourage people to check out uh, Eddie's campaign, you know, make, make your own decision. Of course, I wish the best for him, I, I, his whole family, I wish the best for. And and it's, if you force me to predict what will happen, it, I guess I see three scenarios happening. Uh, the conventional wisdom one where 
it's a blue city and a blue state and the incumbent blue mayor just gets reelected on election day and gets his 50% plus one. And that's the end of it. I think there might be an outcome somewhere in the middle where Eddie does much, much better than the so-called experts uh, say, uh, and he scares the living hell out of them. I know that, you know, volunteers have come in by the hundreds. They're making phone calls for him every night. The signs and bumper stickers are going out. The only bumper sticker I've seen in the whole metro region uh, is for Eddie Aragon. I've seen one bumper sticker and it was for Eddie. I, I told him on the air the other day. And then I guess the third scenario is Eddie pulls off a, a Trump-esque magnificent upset. Um, you know, it's tough to see. I'm not, I can't I be objective I think about it. I think because... there's a lower statistical likelihood. I like the fact that he would enter and I, yeah. I like your second scenario. Yeah. Because, yeah. because, yeah. because that, that puts enough of fear of God in them. And maybe, yes. just maybe, it kind of maybe shakes up the city council a little bit to like, wait a minute, this insurgent yes. came in and, and, and got pretty close. And well, maybe they'll think... start doing the things that they need to do for the city's, basically the quality of life in the city yeah. as a whole. Sure. Which... Uh, it, it, as you say, scaring them would, even scaring them is, is would be an accomplishment. I think that the second or even the more far-fetched third scenario, uh, by the way, Eddie's completely convinced he's going to win. I've never met a person more self-confident than Eddie Aragon. If I had, one percent of that man's self-confidence in everything he does, I would be on. I'd be emperor of the world. I mean, I, you know, I mean, Eddie is—he's that rare breed that has that. that inner, dictator. Uh, I, I think it was some, <laughs> I, some British uh, diplomat said something about another colleague and said, "I wish I were as sure of one thing as he is sure about everything." And I, would, I, would apply, <laughs> I would apply that to Eddie, and I—I I really admire it. My nephew has is very similar like that. He's always had tremendous. My mother's like that too. Very lot. Some people just have that natural self-confidence, but right. w w where I think maybe you get a, a scenario two or a scenario three is the fact that this is a municipal race where turnout in municipal, you know, the government that, that impacts you the most, people tend to be interested in the least on election day. It's always crazy. It, it drives me insane. It's driven me insane forever. But this is going to be a November election day. It's not going to be October or in the spring. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of Burkenos who didn't vote in the last election, uh, either, you know, are registered and don't vote or haven't been registered. So to what extent is this higher profile election, a three-way election. And frankly, you know, not to play identity politics because I hate them, but you have two Hispanic candidates running in this race. And then right. you have the Harvard, you know, blonde white boy. Um, <laughs> it never hurts to have two of the three candidates being Hispanic in a, in a, in a place that where there's a lot of Hispanic Which, people. Come so, on, you know, they're going to paint Eddie as racist. Well, he's, uh, I guess he's the Hispanic face of white, white supremacy. Yeah, he, yeah, okay. It's so like, so he's the Hispanic the face, face of, of white supremacy yeah, as opposed to the black face of white supremacy. Yeah. Like well, I mean, I told him, I said, the more attention they pay to you, Eddie, the better, the better the news is for your chances, because they, if they perceive you as a threat, they're going to fight you. That old Gandhi rule about correct. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win. Those are the, the four stages of, of a revolution. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people who sit on the sidelines. And to, to, to what extent does, is Eddie able to sort of draw those people off and get them to come out and, and turn out to vote? So, um, again, not part of the campaign. Wasn't my idea. Don't work for the campaign. As a human being, of course, I wish Eddie the best. Eddie's been a very good person to me. He's probably one of the most generous and loyal human beings I've, I've ever met. And on occasion, we do want to kill each other. Uh, that's just we're too kind of high, high. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say high strung, but uh, we, we, we have distinct personalities. And but that takes nothing away from the fact that I'm, I'm very grateful to him for what he's done for me the last year plus. Um, and just check him out, folks. Fightfor505.com. Check out his campaign. It's going to be uh, an interesting race. Monday, we have the next candidate forum coming up. Uh, and I think I may have the name of it. 
Uh, it's the mayoral forum. I guess it's going to be from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Thaddeus. It's the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative. It's going to be on Facebook. All three candidates are going to appear uh, from 6 to 7.30. I don't know if it's going to be Zoom. I believe Mr. Aragon is another one of us unclean, unvaccinated. So oh, I don't know if they're... Oh, so that's what they're doing? So you can't show up? In, if, so you, <laughs> what, if you're not vaccinated, you can't show up to the forum in person? I believe he said this on the air. I don't know if it was KOAT or KOB. One of the network affiliates was giving him uh, a little pushback for being in the studio because he's one of the unclean. Uh, and I don't know if he's been able to surmount that or not. But uh, even Eddie on Zoom is going to be able to project project very well as as you know Thaddeus so he, he's going to appear at all of these forums moving forward there's only been one you can't call it a debate but joint appearance there was some neighborhood association uh, a while back and I think you can see the tech the, the video of that folks at eddiewins.com links you to the the YouTube of that and that's the only joint appearance I mean this is an important race right, in because New Mexico Keller's just, Keller's just gonna is gonna run around the ring oh yeah oh. right I mean like this forum is probably you know it's I've been to these forums, particularly if it's, you know, if it's, you know, African-American or NAACP or whatever sponsored or something. I don't know what it's sponsored as. Simple fact of the matter is I I, I remember watching uh, a a forum between uh, Steve Pierce and Michelle Lujan Grisham for the uh, gubernatorial election and stuff. Those are typically very hostile. They Their minds are pretty much well made up when they walk into these forums and stuff oh, like yeah. that. But it's always an opportunity for someone who can, kind of walks into that hostile um, environment to basically just be like, because at that point you're not talking to the audience, right? You're talking to anyone who's paying attention after the fact, sure. or you, you're, or the um, in this instance the the people who were uh, you know bringing us uh, our gerves and stuff in the back are coming are, are paying more attention to what's going on in the forum than anyone else. So I mean, I wish him the best of luck. I mean, between him and Manny, it would be a way better change than what's what what, what I've seen in the city um you know to, to you know to not completely blame keller i mean this precipitous fall was starting during barry's administration oh, yeah. um but yeah someone so changing someone at the top is definitely going to be a good start but yeah i mean you know and i'm pretty sure eddie's gonna you know can talk to this better than i can but you got to do something about like the handcuffs that's on law enforcement you got to do something about the da's office you got to do something about um you, you know this this what's turning into this kind of homeless industrial complex that basically Absolutely. perpetuates this crap i mean Absolutely. it's it's bad all right i don't i don't hang around albuquerque after the after the sunsets like i don't care you know be it brewery district where i typically used to you know used to stomp around in or anything like that i ain't trying to do that because mm -hmm. i don't feel safe in the city Mm -hmm. um and it's, i live about if you walked about 90 seconds in that direction i would be actually be out of the city and uh i'm i'm, I'm still exploring my options to get to get back to corrales full-time i mean it's 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 scary out here i've never seen passed out drunk or drug people or homeless people in this apartment area up in the northeast heights but in the last six months they're starting to migrate even up here the city is not working uh you know crime homeless the economy and and Listen, check out, just check out Eddie, make up your own mind. Uh, I, I will say this, look at the policy, uh, the policy positions on the websites of Keller and Manny and Eddie and see, you know, look detailed because boy, you get, you're very light on detail with, uh, with two of them, let's say. And, and Eddie talks very specifically about it, what he wants to do and, and it might appeal to you folks. So uh, check it out. And uh, it's one of the rare occasions when I will actually be voting, but 
one of the other reasons I'll be voting, not just for mayor Thaddeus, is so that I can vote against the bonding for the New Mexico United Soccer State. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> yes, you have been a yeah, yeah. That has been your bugaboo for a while. Yeah. All these subsidies as a whole. Uh, yeah, you've done yeah. numerous policy papers and work on this stuff across many municipalities. When I guess not to belabor this too much longer or not, I, I definitely want to let you go and stuff like that so you can get on with the rest of your Sunday, though. But your thoughts about the fact that, like, how people here in the Burke have, like, taken to, like, soccer. <sighs> I might be the last person on, on earth worth asking that question as a, <laughs> as a non-sports fan. But, you know, people like to have local pride, you know, whether it's the college foot, local college football team or whether it's even a minor league soccer team, I guess. Um Great, go out and support your team, but I think you also have to be aware that this is a very political organization. Uh, it, it supports, uh, you know, Pride Week or Pride Month. It put a Black Lives Matter toolkit on its website, including here's the attorney you can call if you get arrested while you're out protesting. Uh, it's taken things a little far. The owner of the team, Peter Trevisani, is a buddy of the governor. Uh, he's part of the Thornburg financial people up in, in Santa Fe, very liberal financial community up there um it's uh you know i, I it's kind of kind of people who kind of rub me the wrong way thaddeus but the bottom line for the the stadium is these are boondoggles you will never get the kind of agreement among conservative libertarian middle of the road liberal economists and policy analysts that you get on the issue of subsidizing things like stadiums and convention centers they are a massive loser for taxpayers they don't spur other investment. The time, the type of limited jobs there tend to be kind of food service jobs. It doesn't promote. I guess it helps people like Tre Trevisani who own, own sports teams, and maybe it helps the million dollar players for a lot of these people. But uh, it's a it's a it's a loser across the board from a fiscal perspective. And I really hope people get out in force at a time when Albuquerque's unemployment is seven point four percent. We're going to take tax revenue, collective resources, and give it to a guy who's a financier from Santa Fe. Um, uh, my Albuquerque, my Albuquerque, please don't do that. <laughs> please. Yeah. Okay. No, that, 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 yeah, we can agree on that. That's, that's just dumb. I've, I've always been, I mean, I understand, I, I understand, I guess the rationale, right. But also at the same time, like, I don't, I'm not going to go see them play. Right. Um, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a different crowd, right? I just assume go to my good old Lobos game and occasionally <laughs> watch the Isotopes, but I, uh, I don't know. Well, the, the uh, Steve Moore, the the well, he, he used to be a free market guy, and then he helped Trump on the trade issue. But he wrote an essay many years ago, twenty more years ago, about how soccer is 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 sort of socialism in action in sports, where there's just a lot of people running around creating a lot of activity, but nothing ever it never actually leads to anything. So um, <laughs> it, it's a great piece. I'll, I'll send it to you. That is, but I think, I think it explains why so many of us are not really interested in soccer. But if soccer is your thing, go to the New Mexico United uh, uh, team matches whatever the hell they're called uh support the team just don't give them my money please and that, that's a good way that's a good pitch to leave it there man thanks again for subbing in for us thanks for the policy prescriptions and policy breakdowns and yeah definitely you know look at you know look at uh look at eddie look hey. at eddie for uh for albuquerque or give him like a that. shot give, give him a, a shot. shot he's not the monster people make him out to be he's actually a pretty sharp guy <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Dowd. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Thaddeus. Thanks, folks. Producer Baca. Sir. Can you Wait. hear me? We can hear you. Do I sound silky smooth? 
Oh, always, my friend. Always. That was, that's for the three people still watching right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, sorry, we went a little long, man. When I, whenever no, I get someone on there who uh, particularly dialed and stuff like that, we nerd out, we geek out a bit, and yeah, we. No, it was it was a great show. I found it very interesting. I think we'll get a lot of views on replay because there's some good some good uh, information game dropped there. Um, what's the thing I normally do? Tell us about the following week, the next week coming, which is we have another libertarian. Uh, Nate Banks will be joining us on October third. Sunday, one week from today. And, uh, you know, I tend to like getting the libertarians on. It's a it's a nice pace shift from people maybe running for for office or things like that directly. What do you think that is? No, I definitely appreciate it and stuff like that. It's it's in my wheelhouse. It's definitely people who I'm sympathetical for. So, I mean, you know, it'd be great to to talk to Nate, man. Um, Love him and Renata. And yeah, they are just warriors for liberty. And it's always good to get their perspectives in and yeah we hear it from big daddy ba- big daddy banks next saturday uh, next sunday I'm man excited. so it's gonna be good so okay all right um, well with that hopefully we'll have our boy back next week and stuff like that but if not yeah, then yeah it'll just i feel like sean's one one of the three or four maybe he's watching this show yeah Sean, maybe come on that was great yeah. it was a cool uh a little change of pace so i think when he comes back it'll be nice and we'll get back into the groove next week uh do we have any plans for wednesday i don't have any maybe we do Nah, nothing we'll let the audience know when we get closer to that date if not then we'll yeah. see you next sunday yeah then we'll see you then uh that's it